Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around, you'll be glad you did. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent bass. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know you're lying, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> Hello, peoples, and welcome to Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. My name is Jason Peters, and with me today, as always, is the man who once shot himself out of a cannon on a dare and landed on a pirate ship in international waters... Mr. Ryan Seabold! What's up, Jason? How's it going, buddy? It's going well. It's going well. Probably better than uh, you when you landed on that pirate ship, man. That must have been some sort of adventure. Brother, I'm still out here living my best life. Yo-ho, bitch. I, uh, you know, being from Tampa, Florida, this just kind of came second nature. Um, (laughs) They've been trying to get rid of me. It seemed like a good idea, like, uh, you know, to get me out here. And uh, now it's not as good of an idea anymore. They're over it. And uh, but you've still got me. (laughs) And I uh, somehow rigged this shit together to uh, broadcast live from a pirate ship in international waters. (laughs) (laughs) Pirate radio. I was going to say very much a hearkening back to the pirate radio of your. Absolutely. Old like us and remember stuff like that. Of your. Of your. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So here's the thing, Ryan. uh, How many monkey knife fights have you watched and gambled on so far? Uh, it happens nightly. It's kind of like uh, cruise ship, <laughs> where they just have nightly entertainment. You know, uh, on Carnival Cruise, <laughs> Carnival Cruise Lines. I'm used to like shitty magicians, but uh, they have really <laughs> up the ante. This is fantastic. I am all in. Uh, I am down uh, a lot. I am always betting on the wrong monkey. Uh, but hey, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Uh, I'm still out here having a great time. Tan lines and uh, yeah. Out here, you're holding it up, baby. You got to remember that monkey knife fights are the same as far as gambling are concerned. You got to play the odds because I know you and you're probably going with the monkey that that wins your heart over. That's what it is. You're going with the monkey that shows you affection or gives you that like look from the stands. And you're like, ah, I like his moxie. But he's like seven to one, dude. And seven to one never pays off, dude. You got to work the, you know, two to one, two to three to two even. Uh, I'm a sucker for a simian soft spot. Yeah, uh, I'm a simian softy, and <laughs> uh, yeah, I believe simian soft spot was uh, actually King Crimson's side project back in the day. Simian soft spot. Yeah, uh, it's also on my uh, on my Pornhub search. Simian soft spot. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Gotta watch that. Uh, watch the watch wow. the banana. Watch that the, banana. The, the, the imagination goes in a number of directions on that one, and none of them are pleasurable. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I don't know, man. I beg to differ. That monkey looked like it was having a grand old time. So it was pleasurable for somebody. Uh, maybe uh, not for is you. That what happen, is that what happens to the monkeys that lose the knife fights? They get, they get resigned <laughs> to, like, Pornhub channels. They're like, well, we got to make money on them somehow. Yep, absolutely. Recycle monkeys. Uh, yep. They're just recycle Recycle those, those assets, right? Putting them out to pasture, uh, so to speak. Yeah. It's like when you lose the derby, you know, you just do what you can do with them. Uh, so Jason, <laughs> uh, this, I will tell you, this monologue is endless and so is the oh. movie we watched this week. Hey-o. 
<laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The movie is literally called The Endless, and Ryan is going to give us a description. DJ, play them hits. Bringing it to your hat. It's The Endless from 2017 slash 2018. Rotten Tomatoes describes this as two brothers receive a cryptic video message inspiring them to revisit the UFO death cult they escaped a decade earlier. Who hasn't been there, right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hoping to find the closure that they couldn't find as young men, they're forced to reconsider the cult's beliefs when confronted with unexplainable phenomena surrounding the camp. As the members prepare for the coming of a mysterious event, the brothers race to unravel the seemingly... Impossible truth before their lives become permanently entangled with the cult. Jason, what did you think about this movie? As always, Ryan, I'm going to be happy to discuss right after we listen to this trailer for The Endless. There is something bigger than us out here. We have many traditions here at Camp Arcadia. None more prominent than the struggle. We have a struggle with passion. In your own words, what is it? Struggle with growth. I don't have answers. None of us do. How is that possible? Struggle with the higher power. You want to know what it is that runs all this? You go find it. If you let it have you, it'll snatch you right out of your shoes. (laughs) I want to go back. That place is not what you think it is. She lied to you. We couldn't be happier. I saw some of the things last night. There's something out here, isn't there? Couldn't be happier. Yeah, there is. Happier, 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 happier. Who's next? All right, Ryan. So I'm going to just come out and say that I really enjoyed this movie. I was I was surprised. Uh, yeah. It was, you know, it's obviously made for, you know, as you like to say, a used condom and two wooden nickels. Or maybe it's two used condoms and one wooden nickel. I forget. Either way, I think the net result is the same in terms of resources. Uh, you know, I'm an optimist. I go for the two used condoms and a nickel uh, because that means, <laughs> you know, those are, that's way better. Who doesn't want two used condoms? Um, <laughs> double the, the pleasure, rate. double your fun. Yeah, just working on that exchange rate. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and uh, for a couple guys that obviously didn't have much to work with, I think that they they really stretched what they did. Uh, right, I, right. I'm sure you'll have a little bit of information about which we you know we can get into a little bit about how much it cost in terms of budget and all of that. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I went into say, it. I went into yeah, it. I, I looked some stuff up about this. I read some interviews with these guys. Uh, these guys. So uh, this was directed by a. Uh, look, when you go take a scroll on IMDb um, or, or Rotten Tomatoes or whatnot, you're going to see, uh, you know, one person is director, one person is cinematographer, one person is writer. But this is a collabo between two guys, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. <laughs> Moorhead. And, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Moorhead is credited as the DP. Benson is credited as the writer. But this is a 50-50 collabo, more or less. Um, and uh, it, it's kind of like a sci-fi 
Duplass brothers, uh, if you were uh, in the, mm-hmm. in the, mm-hmm. this is their third feature. Um, they have made two before this, uh, I believe, and one since, and then now they're on to directing a grip of the, uh, Moon Knight episodes for Marvel with Oscar Isaac, not Jason Isaac, as I said last episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm really anxious to see where these guys go with their career. Tons of promise on this. And I really enjoyed it as well. Definitely, definitely. So let's go ahead and let's get into the movie here and uh, start as we do at the beginning. At the beginning! So at the very, very beginning, it actually opens with two quotes. I'll read those here real quick for us. The first is from H.P. Lovecraft. says, The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. Now the second quote is from unknown, but I wouldn't be surprised if they just made it up for the course of this movie, but I do like it. And it says friends tell each other how they feel with relative frequency. Siblings wait for a more convenient time like their deathbeds. And I think we can all relate to that in a certain degree, at least anybody that has siblings. Um, so it was funny uh, when those quotes came up on screen, my, my first thought was, uh, your, your take on Sweetback's quote, uh, this is to all the brothers and sisters that are sick of being asked by the man. <laughs> that was the last yep. quote I think I saw on screen. So uh, that's immediately what I hearken back to. Yeah, same, same. Uh, I think, huh, let's think about it for a minute. So I, for the first thing that comes to mind in terms of like quotes that kick off movies that we haven't looked at on the show, by the way, it would be like The Abyss. Right. Which has the quote from Frederick Nietzsche about when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back at you. You come up with any other uh, any other fire ones right off the top? Uh, you know, I can't, but uh, I do want to ask you, what is your thought about starting a film with a quote? Do you think that's pretentious or do you think it's like um, too much uh, to me? Yeah, it's go ahead. Go for it. Go ahead. Okay, so here's my thing is that I think it's kind of like uh, when, a, when a book starts out with a quote. Like Stephen King actually will reference lyrics a lot in his sort of like opening acknowledgments. Uh, it, I think it depends on – this is going to be kind of weird, but like – so sometimes they kind of present the quotes as though it's separate from the film, right? It's almost like a little like tease-in thing like, oh, here it is, and then it goes – but then sometimes like in Sweetback's case, it'll come after the credits and after the movie starts where it's a little bit more built into the film. And just uh, for whatever reason, just those handful of minutes difference in terms of placing it, like I feel like if you get it uh, out of the way up front, it's a little bit easier to stomach. If it comes a little bit later, it's a little bit more like tied in. Then it's like, okay, well, you know, you're supposed to just you're not supposed to tell me your theme right up front. You know, if you do a good job, you'll communicate it over the course of the film. And then every if something comes at the very end, that's like the absolute worst that's that's basically the literary equivalent of Scorsese's Rat from the Departed, where it's just like, uh, yeah, you know, we we figured that out. We didn't need you to to remind us uh, what was going on with this cheap you visual. You dirty rat! <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, it. what do you think, dude? Yeah, I mean, for something like this, it, it didn't. It just kind of like it does seem a little. Hey, this is a movie, guys. You know, uh, there is a time and a place for it, I guess. But it's also you're walking a fine line between it's kind of like the cinematic um, uh, equation of like uh, like throwing black bars on your film to change its aspect ratio unnaturally uh, to make it look more cinematic. Like to me, it's just a little rib and a nudge like, hey, it's a movie. See what we're doing? It's cool. Right. And 
uh, a little cheesy. I think it's been done, and to redo it now, you're just kind of um, beating a dead horse, so to speak. So, sure. And actually, Ryan, I did just think of one example where it actually really does work well at the end. Okay, it's the only example I can think of so far, and that is uh, "Do the Right Thing" by Spike Lee. And I think that that's really effective because at the end he uses two quotes. One is from Martin Luther King and the other is from Malcolm X. Sure. And Martin Luther King's quote is about sort of like, I don't remember the quotes exactly, but his quote is about, you know, sort of accepting and dealing it with peace. And then, (laughs) (laughs) and then Malcolm X is, is about like, if you need to respond with violence, if violence is being enacted on you, like that's okay. And I think that that's interesting because that does sort of, provide a different way to look at the film right because if, if you're going to go one way with your personal interpretation of that right, movie then right. consider the other it's like okay that's cool you're sort of giving your audience another shade or another lens to that's look at this through that's a great example I love that yeah yeah but something like this you're right so but regardless um, so from there we've got these two quotes and then the movie begins proper now the opening shot is of this package and we've got a package being dropped in the middle of the frame It's a little dark. It's a little dusty around it. This package has a number of stamps on it showing that it's traveled well towards its destination of this house. Now, the camera zooms in and this door creaks open. It casts light and shadow across the package. The shadow is of a man as he grabs this box and pulls it out of the frame and raises it to his ear. At that point, his face is revealed and we see that he's like a boyish 30-something. And as he considers what's in the package, he closes the door on the camera's POV. And and us the audience in turn, and that's pretty much what kicks off this film officially. That 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 nice opening shot. I thought it was a nice opening shot in terms of sort of setting the mood and the visual tone. Now from there, this guy receives a message on a really shitty flip phone, and immediately they've got all this like super old tech. And at first I thought it might have been taking place in the past. Uh, no, no, they just are dirt poor i mean beyond their ass broke these two guys right to the point that i think he says that like he can't eat lunch because the brother used like was 10 15 bucks to send out a letter package or some shit like that and he's like well now we can't eat lunch and this is of course uh while they're both in uniform uh cleaning somebody's house you know obviously setting up that they uh work as, as, as unglamorous cleaners and they're they're cooking ramen back home and everything. So again, these two gentlemen are not doing too well for themselves. Yeah, and, uh, and a little too old <laughs> to be batching it up like that. Like, yeah. you know, you could tell they missed their mark a little bit. Like, it's okay, if they were a little younger, like, say, seven years younger. So uh, it's it's excusable post-college blues, you know, just trying to get by, find your way. But these guys are way past that. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, he opens up the package and puts in, it, it ends up being a cassette. He puts this cassette into one of those, like, old shitty TV VHS combos that we all used to have, like, as teenagers in our in our bedrooms and uh, it's actually from this sort of like what would later be described as like a death cult sort of thing and so now Ryan you know this is another thing too which is that I feel like uh, the kiddos here they'll never be able to appreciate combo tech I, I don't know what else to call it, call it <laughs> except for just combo or combination tech but see nowadays like everything's specialized and everything goes through an app right and you have your one centralized phone with all of these specialized apps and it does this this and that back in the day kiddos no you would have to connect those things with these like ungodly coaxial cables to get different devices to connect to each other and so basically companies would come along and say hey 
hey, you know how you've got your uh, VCR connected to the TV in a sort of unsightly manner? Why not buy this combo TV and VHS player? It'll work fine. And, uh, you know, you had that was when you had clock, uh, also, you know, clock and radio combos. And, uh, yeah, they were just, it got to a point where they would combo anything. They're like, here's a frying pan that also uh, gets a ham radio signal and just random crap like that. <laughs> yeah, like but it's like, dude, Jason, going away, we're not going to be able to appreciate. Jason, do me a quick solid and look straight down at your phone right now and tell me that's not the uh, the most ungodliest combo tech you've ever seen in your goddamn life. That thing's a camera. No, no, I understand phone. that, but what I... No, I'm talking that's like to you right one... now on it from a pirate <laughs> yeah, ship. It's a one-size-fits-all <laughs> waters. That's what I'm saying. Now you've got one device, but, but back in the day you had to compartmentalize, right? So it was right. this combined with that. It wasn't one thing that it was you basically, it was always taking two things and combining them together randomly. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, you know, here's a sofa that also, uh, you know, dis- distributes dog food. Like it was, just, again, that was just what people did. And Pen like on one end, pencil on the other. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so, um, yeah, you know, again, these guys, they're, they're not doing too well. And, uh, it's funny too, cause you probably checked this out, but the, uh, names of the characters are Aaron and Justin. Did you see that? Yes, I did. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so uh, I'll leave it up to the audience to guess which between Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson is Aaron and Justin. As played by, right. <laughs> <laughs> but Aaron, the younger brother resents, uh, their life. He sort of was a little bit younger when the big brother bailed them out of this supposed death cult. And he really just has fond memories of it. You know, he remembers being fed well and having friends and being comfortable and, you know, all the things that he doesn't have right now with this life that ultimately sort of Justin has set up for them. We and hey, look, sort of- this was this was 2018. So my advice to these guys is... uh just hold out. You got two more years. 2020 is going to get wild guys. Like you are going to be, you're going to have your moment to shine in the cult biz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, so, and there's also kind of an interesting shot where initially Aaron is cutting the hair of his older brother, Justin, and he's talking about the thing. And then he just, he basically like runs a straight line through the middle of his head and like bails away. So then Aaron's sitting there and he's got this like weird, and then there's like a jump cut where all of a sudden he's, you know, still sitting there, but now he's in a therapist's or a psychologist chair. In this case, it's a deprogramming session uh, that he's decided to go to that his little brother is refusing to go to anymore. And I thought that was a pretty interesting way to get us from one to the other. It took like a, a split second to understand exactly what happened, but um, but yeah, and they and that's sort of illustrative of some of the things that are going to come up over the course of the film where they find these just unique little subtle ways to do things that ultimately, you know, it's one of those instances where the sum is greater than the parts, right? Right. Some of the whole, Uh, because these little, these little flares and all these things that they do really do start to add up. Yeah. And uh, the, the, um, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, the cinematography of this film started out very green, a lot of green tones. And uh, it, it was very reminiscent of the matrix almost and how it was, you know, like the, the, the chemistry that they were showing between these brothers were, was very warm and inviting, you know, and, and they're setting a lot up here on the dy- dynamic between the older and younger brother uh, that we get a payoff uh, of at the very end and a nice through point. Um, but it's also very like, 
Uh, I don't know how many of our listeners know about cinematography, but it had a very washed out, a non-contrasty log look to it. Um, and as we get into or closer to uh, the second act of the film, there's a defining moment in their car ride um, that we'll get to here shortly where all of a sudden it like snapped to and went super contrasty and everything looked normal again. Um, best of my knowledge, I did some research on this and they shot this on with a main camera of a red dragon, uh, red camera, um, similar to what they shot, uh, not quite the upscale uh, camera that they shot, uh, but the same brand, same kind of similar sensor as a uh, portrait of a lady on fire. And then their B cam was a uh, Panasonic, uh, GH four, which is a much less quality camera. They've since made improvements. I mean, it's a pretty solid little cam, but, uh, my take on it is they shot this opening sequence with the GH four, which mm-hmm. is not quite as contrasty doesn't have a lot of the dynamic range that you're used to seeing and then as they got into the meat and potatoes and got out to that camp um uh, that we're going to get to here shortly they switched over to their main camera um and uh went from there and that's where all the actors join in and it's not just the two of them so they probably may have might have even had a gh4 lying around between the two of them and then rented the red to go shoot this um but uh, anyway, I didn't know if you noticed that as well. But uh, at first, when I was watching it, it was almost hard to watch because I have a projector. So washed out shit like that looks extra washed out. Uh, I don't have, mm. you know, I should have watched this on maybe more of a an HDR TV or something out of my living room. But anyway. Yeah. No, honestly, I didn't really have a problem with it. I, th- I, I did sort of recognize what you're talking about, but it didn't really have the same effect. Um, I watched it. Yeah, you know, it just bothers me when... when blacks you look at the blacks and it's all like faded and washed out and so it's like yeah. someone didn't really put the extra time to just add that extra little bit of contrast in and color correct it that's just my take on it i don't know yeah certainly and we do see that like there was a take early on too where the two brothers are sitting at the park and they have this conversation and there's like a it's like a scene where they clearly put the camera on like a skateboard and tried to like do a push in and it's just very <laughs> like guys just right. you know like save that for the next one when you have the dolly or you like you know get a gimbal or something like that like there was a couple little instances where they tried to sort of go beyond their means but i think they course corrected very quickly on some of those things right i i agree once once we leave this uh initial scene and and i'll I'll let you get back to it here i just wanted to interject real quick before we skipped over that because that was something i noticed um but yeah everything kind of snaps into play um real quick i'll go ahead and throw out there i did a um uh, a little bit of a search because I was curious on what these guys spent on this film, and I couldn't find shit from Shinola on what the budget was from this for this film. Um, but uh, I will say that I've read several interviews between them. These guys are just lovable guys, by the way. I'd love to meet and hang out with these guys. Uh, but uh, yeah, it looks like best I could guess their budget was fifty grand or so. Their last fi- or their a couple films prior, uh, their their film Resolution had a twenty to twenty five thousand dollar budget, um, and this one did best that you could see that in some of the visual effects. Um, yeah. They got their locations and the actors for free. Um, so I, I was just guessing at around 40 to 50. So that said, I mean, Jesus, kudos, like they, they crushed it. So if I have any complaints, the only reason I'm saying that now is because if I'm being harsh or anything, like I'm really just doing my part to, to make this podcast interesting. I really enjoyed this movie and I thought they did a fantastic job. Dude, for that budget, crushed it. 100%, man, 100%. So, and then, yeah, getting back to it, we do kind of kick off the, you know, wrap up the first act and get the movie going proper here when the little brother says, hey, you know, I want to go back to the cult and check it out and blah, blah, blah. They kind of argue a little bit. Ultimately, 
Justin relents and says, yeah, okay, let's go ahead. They jump in a car and they book it back. And Justin kind of says like, hey, we're not going to stay there a long time. I'm basically willing to give you 24 hours. And the little brother reluctantly agrees. So they get in the car. They take off. Second act kind of officially kicks in. They talk a little bit about how Justin's sort of domineering, you know, and doesn't really let Aaron make a lot of the decisions. And he kind of resents him for that. And they also stop by a memorial of their mothers on the way over there. And I think that's basically like right outside of the physical geography, the area of where things are going to kind of kick off. And we start to see that there's something a little bit amiss when they do make that stop. In the, uh, and, and the clue we're sort of given is the birds, right? There's these two sort of circles of birds on either side that are flying in a very irregular pattern that's a very sort of unnatural kind of sets up that things are going to get a little creepy, a little weird, whatever. And yeah, I mean, sure he, he looks at one do. side and he sees the circle of birds and then he looks over and they're, they're to his right now. Uh, and, uh, and then when he looks back to his left, they're gone. So they've now moved from left to right instantaneously. And uh, so we, that's something's amiss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, they very shortly afterwards arrive at the cult. And it's kind of introduced the way a lot of these places are, right? Like it's seemingly idyllic. And, you know, but you've also got like the guy who's unnaturally smiling in a very creepy way. Smiling Dave. In slow motion I love smiling as they Dave. come up and like. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like every cult movie always has a smiling Dave. Like that's yep. definitely like a cult trope for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, we're shortly introduced to the leader of this cult, who is Hal, and he's got this, uh, girlfriend who wandered in, she says, from, like, a local mental institution. She's got this very creepy, eccentric vibe. Like, I thought she actually did a very good job with the limited role. It's this actress, Kira Powell, who apparently hasn't really done much, but I think that we'll kind of see a little bit from her coming up. Um, and then, you know, one of the other things we haven't really mentioned so far yet, Ryan, and I was really, really impressed. I think probably with this aspect of the film more than any other is, is the score. I, I believe you mentioned it earlier. So, um, yeah, dude, the, the, the score on this just absolutely crushes, man. What's your what's your take on it? Yeah, dude. I mean, once you get past that. So I think the and it's really unfortunate because it's the welcome mat to the movie. Right. But I think the first little bit before they get to the cult um, uh, location kind of suffered like everything you could tell, like everything was kind of uh, plotting along a little bit. This, like I said, the cinematography was a little weak. I was trying like struggling to understand what that video cassette was. Like you couldn't really see what they were trying to show you on the videotape minus the message from the woman, um, which by the way, I, I don't know if we really talked about that, but she said that, uh, that the videotape was straight up saying like, we're going to the Ascension case you're going to miss us, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, and it, it, some culty shit that you can kind of let on yeah. there, but yeah, so everything kind of struggled. And then once we got landed into this cult thing, everything kicked into high gear and, and the quality just stepped up, including not, uh, including, but not limited to the, uh, acting skills of Tate Ellington, who played Hal, the cult leader. Um, you've got, uh, the guy that played Tim, Lou Temple, um, all these guys, like the, the acting was stellar. The locations were great. Yeah, Tons of production dude. value. Um, and it just became more and more fun as this movie went on. This movie fucks. I love this. I like, I really, really enjoyed this movie for real. Like, yeah. So Ryan, sometimes the budget does come into play with that. Like sometimes you, you give something a little more credit because it's like, dude, for 50 grand, that was a fun ass ride. Like if you charge me five bucks to go to a theme park, 
and it was moderately exciting. I'd be like, dude, for five bucks, well worth my time. But uh, you know, yeah. You, so you you give a little uh, little bit of a, a bump on that, but you know, overall, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I did too. First of all, I'm just gonna say I'm gonna kind of question this fifty fifty thousand dollar assessment. I feel like that this movie cost way more than fifty thousand dollars to make, or maybe not way more, but it seems conservative, dude. And 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 I'm not saying you're wrong by any means. I'm just saying like, because when you think about some of the shots, so for example, just. The very last shot, which is in the trailer, so we're not, you know, I mean, we're not spoiling anything here, even though we're going to spoil the entire film for you. But, like, um, even the shot at the very end where the rope comes crashing down before them in a circle, like, that had some CGI or something, dude. That was, there's no way that was 100% practical, even just from the standpoint of, like, no, I don't think they can do that from a union standpoint. Like, you can't drop a giant-ass heavy rope with no security measures like from the sky with like 12 actors oh, this was, standing around. So this was no, non-union. These guys just straight up went out renegade style and shot this shit. So oh, real wow. quick. That's sh- crazy. I'm going to, I'm going to take a, uh, a quick uh, breather here and shout out my homie Jason. Cause this movie is very similar to your film, which uh, <laughs> as this episode uh, releases, will be on the horizon at some point called toast. Uh, keep an eye out for that, ladies and germs. Uh, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> these guys just straight up shot this over 18 days. Um, they had that location already picked out. They shot their previous film and we're going to get, I'm going to comment on this in, in detail here shortly, but one of their previous films resolution was also shot at this location. So they already knew about it. It was already familiar. They got it for free. All the talent was donated. Um, so, uh, and the casting director that found the talent, this was our first film with an actual casting director and that person d- donated their time for free as well. So in an interview oh, wow. with these dudes, I read that resolution because that movie and th- this movie is an expansion of the resolution universe. And we'll, uh, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but, uh, that movie cost 25 grand. The interviewer asked them directly, well, what you did with that movie, if you had been given, uh, two or three or four times as much as that, uh, it really makes you wonder what you guys are capable of with a bigger budget. And their retort was exactly your point, which is all that ha- all that happens when you scale up a budget by only that amount is then you put your you hire actors and and crew that are now union and you have to pay union rates. You can't just hire freelancers. Uh, that are non-union and do everything yourself. Now you've got to crew up every position. Nobody can move a light other than a union gaffer, grip, et cetera, et cetera. You need a best boy and a key grip, all these things. And that's where all your budget goes. So he's like, really? It would have been the same movie. So the fact that um, they had more of a budget, but explicitly said that they were not given three, four times as much as 25,000. I just figured it was somewhere between yeah. 25 and a hundred grand. <laughs> it's no, kind of no, what honestly, I'm estimated, so. Yeah, no, that all, that all checks out. And honestly, I think that like in terms of, cause they have figures for what classifies like micro budget, no budget, et cetera. Um, so like for film festival purposes, for example, right, right. Okay. Like you said, I, I, I'm, I'm looking into this right now a little bit (laughs) and thanks for calling me out, buddy. Like I said, hopefully I don't (laughs) let you guys down, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later when it's done anyway. But yeah, so, um, I think it's like a hundred, like up to like a hundred thousand dollars is considered like no budget. And then between like a hundred and two fifty or something is like micro budget either way. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely sounds like, cause it's I was reading something just real quick and it sounds like they made their previous one they're saying for like three grand or something like that 
which is pretty nuts. So yeah, so that, even if I they, think that might have been their first one. Their first one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Either way, uh yeah, like I said, that's even if they did, that's still just absolutely phenomenal and remarkable that they did that so yeah i mean dude even for 200 grand like look yeah, 150 grand or 100 grand or whatever i will say that red dragons aren't so expensive of a camera that people don't own them uh in the sense of if you're in the biz uh, and you know crew chances are you could borrow one or rent one for pretty cheap um mm. so that and and most of this was shot either tight at night or uh wide during the day very little wide at night um, so meaning that you don't really need a whole lot of lighting. The sound was really good. You talk about the score and everything, dude, their dialogue was flawless. I don't know who their, uh, sound mixer was or how that, that was one thing I should have researched more about, but, uh, the, impeccable, no clothing, Russell, no, nothing muffled. It did not sound like an indie film. It sounded like all pro. Their dialogue was fantastic. Um, yeah, definitely. But anyway, we're getting way off track here. I didn't mean to go outside, uh, <laughs> on a on a tangent, but uh, it you know well, I, I have a lot of good things to say about the production of this film, and uh, I think it was worth noting. Yeah, and it kind of brings up another aspect that I really love about these sort of indie films. Just kind of piggybacking off what you're talking about, which is that you really get these people. You know, they're early in their career. And it kind of reminds us like how multi-talented so many of these people are, right? Because once you get to a certain point, like you said, once you're in Hollywood and once it's union and it's like, okay, no, you do this and you do that. And, you know, you can't pick that up and move it. We've got a guy for that. It's his job to pick it up and move it. And then it's her job behind him to position it correctly for camera, right? And so things just get crazy and blah, blah, blah. But so, for example, the score, like I was telling you, was done by this guy, Jimmy Levaye, I believe it is. It's either Jimmy Lavale or Jimmy Levaye, uh, depending on where he's from pronunciation. Regardless, this dude's also an actor and a writer. And he's made he's actually written like pilots for like TV. I think he was on some show called Scorpion I saw or something like that. Could be mistaken about that. But either way, like. And and this score is amazing. Like, I thought that they honestly probably, which I think would have been smartly used money, but I thought that they were like, you know what, let's kind of take some money from camera and acting and really put it into the sound because that sounds like a score that someone would have had to pay a ton of money for. And so the fact that they were able to get that as effective as it was, you know, I mean, all the, the bass sounds were crisp and clear and everything just hit exactly like it was supposed to. The timing sure. of everything was amazing. And that doesn't even take into account, like you're saying, like the sound effects. Like there's a, a shot later where they go shooting in the canyon and just the sound of like the bullets echoing across the canyon and the the sort of hollowness and the piercing, you know, sound when it when the bullets are expunged and it's like. Again, everything about the sound and the sound design and the actual recording sounds so expensive. Which is usually the first thing to go overboard uh, on the old pirate ship of indie cinema is the sound yeah. and audio. It's everyone. Everyone wants to make your shit look cool because that's a sexy thing, right? Like, and then I got this shot, and then I got this shot. That's the one thing everybody likes to talk about. And the camera, and I'm going to rent this camera, but uh, nobody ever gives a you know uh, a lot of thought to sound. Speaking as a on set sound mixer, I can attest to all these things. I can tell you how many airports I've been set next to, and they're like, "Yeah, but it's gonna look sick, right?" I'm like, "Okay, enjoy your ADR session." Uh, <laughs> um, it does look like they've got five people in the sound department, including uh, you know post mixers and stuff like that. So yeah, they they at least put some attention into that, which is great. Uh, learn that lesson, kids. If you're out there and you're making indie films, uh, 
meet a sound guy and uh, ask him some questions. <laughs> <laughs> I sure did. We leaned heavily on this guy's knowledge. So uh, we'll see how that pull, pulls out when all is said and done on the old toast. Yeah, so, I hope it worked out. Yeah, I think it did. So now is where we get to see more of the supernatural elements coming out, right? And so the first kind of thing we see is there's a scene where Justin is talking to this guy who does magic tricks. And at first he does some sort of very basic sort of card trick that, you know, we've seen a couple different times. And then he performs this trick with a ball where essentially he sort of throws it up and then it ends up hanging up there way, way too long and dropping down later. And so, and then from there we get what is known as the struggle, right? And that's this scene that we get with the rope. And this is another one of those very inventive scenes where it's really utilizing smartly its lack of resources just by having, so it's basically this rope and the rope just sort of extends off into the black sky at night and we don't see what it's attached to. And so it allows our imagination to sort of just run wild with what is it, you know, and then I think uh, Justin tries to explain it by saying, oh, yeah, you know, it's smiling Dave on a ladder holding it. But it's very obvious by the resistance that it gives these people that it couldn't possibly be a guy on a ladder or anything like that. So, Ryan, I do have a clip of this that I am going to go ahead and play for our audience. And let's listen. Most of you, this requires no explanation. But we have many traditions here at Camp Arcadia, none more prominent and the struggle. Yeah. 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 We have the struggle with passion, the struggle with growth, the struggle with the higher power. Smiling Dave on a ladder. And, and, <laughs> what, Anna? Um, that would be all of which we overcome with perseverance. You're the one who invented this. So why am I always the one looking ridiculous I'm seeing? Because I'm reigning champion, that's why. <laughs> uh, there you are. Woo! Need a breather. Who's next? So again, some some really effective use of limited resources there. Shortly after Aaron tries again because he does fail. And this time he sort of wraps it around his body and really gives it a go. And he ends up doing the challenge successfully. Now, Ryan, I wanted to ask you about this scene specifically. So, Oh, boy. Because I was going to ask you, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because I don't know if we'll be approaching this from the same thing. But for me, I was going to ask you about it in terms of sort of like narrative metaphor. What, what's, your, what's your angle on your question? Uh, m- well, my question was... What the fuck is it tied to? Do, I mean, is that <laughs> they never really told us? There's no spoilers here. Uh, there's nothing really to tether this to the end of the scene. Uh, we did see the rope in the opening of the um, film on that little cassette they got on the little uh, the ring style <laughs> video cassette that they watched. And there was a rope all wadded up in the well thingy that they're all huddled up or camp bonfire or whatever. And then at the end, like you said, there's another rope. So there's like a theme with ropes. There um, is and fall actually from I'll, the sky and tied to things magically. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and, and, and introduce this right now. So I think that, so firstly, I think that it is tied to whatever this higher power is, you know, whether it's a spaceship, whether it's, but there's some sort of either so it's a tug of war with the devil, godlike presence that okay. is 
existing over this whole thing. And we see that later with the pods and everything that we'll get into, right? Um, and I think that sets up a theme of this film, which is that really I think a lot of this film explores the nature of religion. And I think a lot of what's going on with this is a metaphor for religion and the degree to which people do or do not subscribe to it and how so much Agreed. of it is ultimately based on your belief and your buy-in, right? Right. And 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 it really ultimately takes that buy-in to be what the film would argue, uh, I believe, is you know essentially manipulated by religion. I don't think it's taking necessarily a favorable view and, on and it. And also how no one really knows the answer. You know, we're all kind Correct. of... Correct, uh, yeah, of course. They, they use uh, confusion and mystery um, to lure you in and to captivate you in a lot of ways. So, hey, it's fun, you know, it's worth playing tug-of-war with God or the devil, you know, who knows, yeah. right? Like, Yeah, but it also does sort of inherently acknowledge the existence of a higher power, and it right. sort of discusses that in some different ways. So, for example, like, I think that this struggle challenge that they have is pretty indicative of that, right? So Aaron, I don't think, does Aaron end up doing it? Well, no, I'm sorry, Justin, yeah. the older brother. Does Justin end right. up doing no, it? Right, no, he cuts his Aaron? hand, remember? His hand's yeah, all exactly. fucked Yeah, exactly. Okay, great, yeah. So, so here's the thing. So basically, Justin, of the two, buys into this cult, right? He he yes. doesn't really reject the, younger the brother. that Aaron does. Correct. Yeah. Aaron the the or Justin the older brother uh rejects it wholeheartedly. So when Aaron the younger brother tries to do the challenge and he fails, he's using his hands, right? So what does he do? He envelops himself in this rope. Literally Ooh. wraps it around his body. And then struggles against it and ultimately wins. I think that this struggle is ultimately a test by the higher power testing the buy-in of people and rewarding or punishing them accordingly. Their commitment. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So and then when Aaron tries it and he just rejects it, he thinks it's bullshit. And so what do they do? They fucking cut his hand, you know, as punishment for being like, yeah, we know you don't fucking believe what's going on here. So screw you. And, you know, here's a here's a cut hand. You know, here's a rope burn. And no, I agree. And I think these themes continue on throughout the film. Uh, and, and then as they reveal more and more, we realize the dangers of said buy-in, you know, and, and uh, the allure and mystique is card games and, uh, you know, uh, parlor tricks like the baseball toss. And then, you know, and then we see things escalate because this whole, whole challenge starts, you know, hey, it's all fun and games, tug of war with the darkness. And uh, then... Uh, you know, when we see the older brother cut his hand and stuff, you know, we see the dangers and and that these things can shed blood. These are there's real stakes involved. Um, kind of like yeah. the monkey fights here on the old pirate ship. So, <laughs> <laughs> dude, it would be so wonderful if we could like uh, in editing, like go find some just like uh, ambient tones or ambient background noise of like. Oh, you know, if you think I'm not doing that, and like, yeah, I'm 100 percent doing that. at at various points just get like some sort of like massive like naval raid like u.s like (laughs) cross the border and come over here we must deal with you right absolutely absolutely (laughs) now um so yeah so we'll go into some more examples of sort of what's going on there with, with the religion allegories here the next morning it's time for them to leave because, again, they're only supposed to be here for 24 hours. And, of course, Aaron's going to ask Justin if they can stay another day. They go back and forth. Ultimately, Justin does 
agree and he says like yeah I'll let us stay a little bit and you know we get a little bit of a look from Aaron who we can sort of tell is hinting at that whole being controlled by him thing you know where he's like oh yeah I'll let you stay and then he sort of you know is taken aback at the response or whatever and that's going to feed into obviously what happens towards the end later with their relationship basically you know Aaron's just one of these characters where he just wants his older brother to take him seriously right and listen to him let him make some decisions Uh, that's that's all that he really wants and everything's going to come back to that, uh, which obviously gets, you know, resolved by the end of it. But um, from there, we've got this nice slow-mo sequence, which I thought was nice, but ultimately, like, I don't know if that was just like a visual thing. Um, I didn't really, I don't know. Do you think there was any sort of narrative implications with the slow motion or you think it was just a style decision? Well, as we get into this right about now uh, in the film, we start to find more and more, uh, little tosses to time and yeah. time placement. And oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So as they're manipulating time uh, and showing us things, I mean, we start to get multiple moons. We start to get schisms of light and all kinds of bonkers shit. Like pretty much from here on out, they start to dribble it out slowly. And yeah. we find out more and more things are not what they seem. And so if they start to play with, uh, you know, time like that in camera, uh, I think that's just a kind of a little wink and a nod, like buckle sure. up, kids. No, this is nice. where we're going with this, maybe. Yeah. What do you you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and then we do get sort of like you're talking about, where you know, I think that's where the like trailer sort of bumps up and down, and there's these like odd patterns of dust swirling, and then of course there's all the Polaroids that keep showing up. Right, and then we see the 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 tent scene with the little brother that that I thought was kind of the coolest you know part of the way that they explored the time where he just finds this tent and the clock is constantly just resetting every few seconds and then of course we're going to see what's inside the tent a little bit later and right. I thought that whole thing was done very very well and then to your point about the two moons you know later that night we've got the scene where Justin's talking to Hal who again is the leader of this sort of death cult as they say uh, well played by an actor named Tate Ellington by the way I haven't seen him in anything else but uh, I mentioned he, that earlier yeah that guy's a stud I want to yeah, see yeah, yeah. all these guys do stuff there, there yeah, was nothing really not strong. to like about this film Yeah, and uh, he does discuss the fact that there's two moons out with a third on the way that is ultimately going to bring what they call the Ascension. Ryan, I do have another clip to play for our listeners. Let's go ahead and listen. That's crazy, right? Some kind of atmospheric mirroring effect. It's like the Northern Lights. Anyway, two moons brings the truth. Three signifies the Ascension. All right, that just all sounds like metaphor again. (laughs) (laughs) No. No, you know that physics equation in my room? Yeah. That's what it is to me. I still haven't finished that. But what I can tell you is that if you and Aaron, you stay one more day, you go fishing in the lake, and you go out to this buoy, you dive straight down, and you grab what you find there. You're going to have your answer. You know how culty that sounds, right? Confirm this thing for yourself. And you got to admit it. There it is. A higher power. A governing force. God. Infinity solved. And wouldn't that be a weight off your shoulders? And if you like having that weight gone, you and Aaron have a home here. Even after the third moon. 
And then from there, you know, so this cult leader guy, he's really trying to get Justin to buy into this whole thing. Justin obviously doesn't or he wouldn't have left so long ago. And Hal tells him basically, look, you know, you've got this Polaroid of this lake that just flew down from this higher power. Go to the lake. Check it out. You see where the buoy is in this picture. I want you to go to that buoy. Dive directly down from there. There's going to be an object. I want you to bring it up. And that's going to prove to you that this higher power is what we say it is. So from there, uh, later on, you know, I think I think first they go do the shooting thing or whatever. But shortly thereafter, they do actually go to this lake. Oh, you know what? Actually, right there, right before then is where we get that really cool shot at night where the little bro goes off with the girl. I forget her name. She's played by this uh, by the by an actress named Callie Hernandez. Did very 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 uh, did a good job with the performance. And but it's this really cool shot where it's sort of like a mirrored reflection of the environment. And, and once again, I think that sort of speaks to introducing those sort of mind fuck time jumping elements that you're talking about. You know, letting it us look know cool that too. Things aren't quite what they seem, and it absolutely looked awesome. So, yeah, and then after that, that's where, you know, they go to this lake. He dives down. He comes up. The older brother, Justin, that is. And, yeah, and he's freaking out. You know, when he comes back out of the water, he's like, quick, you got to book it. You got to book it. There was this thing holding me down down there. Uh, you know, I don't know what it was, but we got to go. And so, you know, and he, he he brings up this tackle box with him that he ends up, you know, jumping back in the boat with. And then as they, what would you call it? Drive off? Motor off? What do you call it? And then you're in a boat, in a motorboat, because you wouldn't row off. They did row off. It was a rowboat. He was, was like, a rowboat. Oh, no. They had like a little motor. They didn't have oh, a little motor. Okay, I thought uh, I saw maybe. oars. I don't know. Well, it's either this or that. Hey, <laughs> hey. Either way, I doubt this is what the, the the filmmakers really wanted us focusing on with this part because the more important thing is that we get this giant wide aerial shot of them moving away, and there's just yep. this sort of undulating black mass at the bottom of the sea that's underneath them. Again, speaking to this sort of entity that's beyond our uh, beyond or just a figment of our imagination beyond our understanding because we never really see it and obviously that's leading into that initial hp lovecraft quote that kicked off the movie so jason real quick you go are you going down there if you were told the answers <laughs> to all your questions were at the bottom of that lake you uh you going for a swim or are you fucking off Oh, no, I would absolutely make that dive, 100%. Especially wow! Given, especially given everything that had, like, gone up to that point, dude. You're telling me, like, I mean, it's 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 just short of, like, the, you know, uh, Aaron getting the picture of himself looking up at the sky towards the end, right? Like, I mean, there's some weird shit that's going on, and, yeah, I, I, I think it's worth a dive. And especially if I am held down by a mysterious force, then obviously there's something going on here. Then, See, you know. I start seeing two moons, totems. Dude, if you show me totems in the woods, that's all I need. I'm fucking right <laughs> off. I'm getting out of there. Like I, Blair Witch shit, like anything like that. You start to see totems uh. in the woods, I am out. And, you, and then all of a sudden, oh, the, the secrets are... I'm not diving in the bottom of a lake on a sober day, much less, uh, oh, the, the, the kingdom is down there, the, the ruler of this entity. Fuck off, dude. I am not going to meet my maker in such a fashion uh, as the bottom <laughs> of a murky lake. No way. 
Hey, dude, if, I mean, that's, uh, if that's where the answers lie, that's where I'm going, man. I don't know what to tell you. I don't want to know the answers, and I don't need to know the questions. <laughs> Let me just uh, see. And then this, this whole thing kind of comes right back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. Uh, ah. if, if my younger brother says, you know that I really miss our cult. I'm like, all right, well, uh, have fun with all that. I don't know. Just, <laughs> but Yeah, so, and then shortly after all of this is where and this is kind of, I guess, the one thing, the one problem that I had with the film is that it ultimately it tells its secrets just a little too quickly. Right. Because it really ultimately reveals what's going on towards the back half of the second act and then just sort of spends the third act kind of repeating it to the point where I felt like they could have held back the mystery until the very end. But I did like this scene. So it's basically, you know, they have some conversation where it comes out that maybe everything that Justin was saying about the cult wasn't 100% true, specifically that they don't get castrated. That was just something that he made up to kind of make him look bad. And so, you know, Justin and Aaron fight a little bit. Obviously, everything centered around Aaron sort of wanting to stay and Justin wanting to leave. So they split up and Justin goes through the forest. And I believe that I forget if this is where he's going to look for like the tweaker gun guy yet. I don't think it's that. I think he's just sort of like walking around and he comes across this. Uh, it's the pissed off guy that keeps walking around with just like mean mugging the entire time. We haven't really mentioned him yet, but there's a character that's just always walking around mean mugging it. And he ends up Justin that is finding him in the forest. Shitty Carl. Is that the guy in the Sh- tent? Yeah, I, I think so. What's well, the guy that 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 Hank that he finds his himself, like hung right. body? Yeah, and then he shows up a minute later. So after these brothers leave the camp, and uh, one, one leaves, and then the other goes out looking for him or whatnot. So um, yeah, basically, uh, or and they both kind of get lost along the way because as we start to find out, uh, things are definitely not as they seem, like what you were saying, and um, and there are, are forces at play uh, that get explained really right here by Shitty Carl. So apparently. Yeah. Um, these guys have on their budget of two used condoms and a nickel, uh, created a multiverse of sorts or, or a cinematic universe of all these films that are tied together in a way, um, uh, that, uh, so shitty Carl was referenced apparently. And I need to go back and watch all their films. Cause I'm pretty uh, totally. enamored by what these guys are doing, but, uh, Definitely. shitty Carl has been referenced, um, and never shown in their other films. And so this was oh, wow. the revelation of shitty Carl that has always been this like, um, kind of a, um, a scapegoat, if you will, or something, you know, that they've referenced off camera. Oh, that's just yeah. shitty Carl. And now we get to see shitty Carl. And then in the following <laughs> scene, uh, with the, the tweaker dude and the, the, uh, and his best friend who's trying to sober him up that we find out more. And then they start to divulge into their plot. Those two guys were actually the entire film of their previous film resolution. Um, and so that whole film, uh, encapsulates just those two guys and what's happening with them. And then it ends all weird. And then we pull back, uh, you know, to a wider lens of sorts, metaphorically speaking in this film and see that their whole film is taking place within the context of this film, which I think is fucking cool as shit. Oh yeah, dude. That's, that's way cool. That's way cool. So what we're going to do real quick is we're going to listen to this clip of, Shitty Carl sort of setting up what the explanation behind everything is, and then we're going to discuss that further. Shitty Carl! So a decade ago, I tell you that you're living in some sort of death cult, and not only were you not bright enough then to figure it out, you actually came back. You are not smart. 
<laughs> you never have been. No. I mean, all kids are dumb, but you were like some sort of retarded hobbit or something. I'm sorry. I, uh, I don't know how I got lost. I don't know how you're hanging in there and standing in front of me. I don't understand what's going on at that camp. Bunch of looping prisons, man. Like shitty pods of time. Repeating over and over and over again like rats telling telling stories for that thing's amusement. My loop's short as hell, bro. Hell, some are even shorter. Hey, you fools, you fools up in that hippy-dippy camp bullshit. You're something like, what, 10 years now? <laughs> you gotta kill yourself before the restart. Or that thing, that thing will do it for you. And it's much worse than anything to do yourself. But you can't. The first that thing doing it for him, doesn't it? Yeah, it considers it sacred even. It'll snatch you right out of your shoes. Okay, Ryan, so obviously, you know, there's a lot to take in here and discuss. Uh, real quick before we do begin, I want to just say that <laughs> the actor who plays Shitty Carl is this guy, James Jordan. And 100%, I guarantee you, the director's direction to the actor was be Danny McBride. Like, that's all I thought watching this guy is that this is the working man's version of Danny McBride. Like, his character in Tropic Thunder or Pineapple Express, like, is this to a T. Yeah, yeah. Just want to throw that out there before we begin. So, and so this is essentially what everything boils down to, which is that there's essentially these higher power beings, right? Aliens, gods, whatever you want to call them. And for whatever reason, we don't actually ever really truly get that explained or understand what it is. They have decided to make these sort of time loop pods. And these, so they, they think of something like a sort of like shimmery energy igloo, right? And it's literally like a, a, a physical pod and shell that is created and placed over these spots with these people inside it. And then... Anybody who is within that pod is basically put on a life loop and they can be different times, right? So shitty Carl is on, you know, one time frame that maybe it's, you know, a few months and it repeats. The cult is, I think, you know, every 10 years they're, they're on repeat. Yep. 10 years. Um, yeah. And then the guy in the tent that we the see guy in the, the tent is like seconds. three seconds, right? Just oh, keeps running fuck. out. And, yeah. Like, uh, who, by the way, seemed like a, a pilgrim extra from, uh, the witch, like yep. uh, these guys just went and borrowed him from Eggers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's got a black and white too, as it is. I don't know what that yeah. was about. Also that yeah, guy, he's... Ted, the same thing with that guy, Ted, who we didn't really mention this either up to now, but there's a shed and it's protected by this guy, Ted, who's sort of a pilgrimy guy. And it's just I thought, locked no, it's up. Tim, 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 you're right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's locked up and he's the protector of it. And with the most comically large lock of all time, <laughs> yeah. by the way, like, <laughs> lock looks like Bugs Bunny locks. straight from Acme. I was going to say straight from Acme corporation. 100%, <laughs> right. <dude. laughs> right. And they ask him in the beginning, they say, uh, Hey Tim, what you got in there? And he's smoking a pipe. So I thought they were about ready to go toke up. I was like, Hey, what you got in there, Tim? Like what you chiefing on? And, uh, no, they, yeah. they met the shed, which is probably what I, I should have realized right away with the <laughs> giant comically large Acme lock on it. I don't know why I thought the pipe. Okay. 
Yeah. So, um, so, so once again, so the general idea is that for whatever reason, everybody is placed in these pods and they're all on loops and they die and they basically can't kill themselves such that they won't be reborn whenever that time loop starts again. Right. And if they kill themselves, they're going to reset regardless. And when they reset by way of the ultimate being of sorts, it is supposedly uh, not good. <laughs> you don't want to do that. So yeah. your best route is to kill yourself and restart your own loop, which is what we see shitty Carl doing uh, right away. He opens the shed and sees a man hanging there. And then off to the side, another man walks up, both shitty Carl. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you get used to that, man. Uh, you yeah. know, he's like, you got to basically take yourself out or they're going to do it for you. And you don't want that. Uh, and yeah, then, you know, correct. when we get down to the tweaker with the guns, uh, they kind of solidify that a little more and uh, explain a little more in depth as well. Yeah. Which also, by the way, I do want to say uh, that was the friendliest detoxing tweaker that I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. From what I've come to, which, by the way, I live in a very rural part of Los Angeles. So, you know, seeing seeing the occasional tweaker walking around is not something that is that is foreign to me. Uh, they're, they're never as charming as this gentleman who's like, hey, what's up? Yeah, um, I just got this handcuff trying to come down <laughs> off meth. You know, you got any drugs? Nothing. Nah, that's cool. Either way. Come on in, friend. Yeah. Well, what <laughs> you need? Guns? Weird Plenty of them. Hey, get this man some guns. <laughs> yeah. Like actually shitty Carl seemed like more of a tweaker than than that right. guy did. Right. Yeah, we'll just put him in a trucker's hat. Yeah, that's it. They'll believe yeah, he's a tweaker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> by the way, that whole, again, and I, I I think this is so dope, but that location, that house uh, that, the, that the tweaker is in and, and his friend who's trying to get him to detox that are in their time loop um, within the context of the story of resolution, that's the original location. And when oh, nice. they shot that, they had everybody stay at this um, youth camp that they shot as the cult location. So they already knew about the youth camp that they could have for free off season. So I guess um, during fire season, this is all outside of uh, San Diego that they shot this south of Los mm -hmm. Angeles in the middle okay. of bumfuck desert. And so it gets hotter than fucking the devil's ass crack. And so they, you can't do anything with that land. Plus it catches fire. So, mm -hmm. um, and it's like a huge fire risk out there apparently. So like, uh, you can just have it. For, you can shoot out there, I guess, for pretty cheap because nobody's doing anything with it during certain months of the year, uh, which makes it miserable to shoot in. But I guess, uh, you know, such is the life of an indie filmmaker. And so 100%. anyway, I thought that was really neat that uh, they hearkened back and reused and rehashed and recycled all these ideas and made something fresh and new and it still encompassed the old and and uh, gave some value to the hardcore fans. So anyway, 100%. Now let's double back to this whole thing about a lot of this being sort of a metaphor for religion. One okay. of the, one of the, in essence, if you want to look at the higher power as sort of the antagonist of this film, right? Cause that's sort of the interesting thing is there's no real identified antagonist. Uh, you in certain ways it might be how, it, but really primarily it's just this sort of unseen force and them trying to figure it out what it is. So if it, what you could argue is that this higher power is the antagonist and really what it's trying to do is it's trying to ultimately get Aaron and Justin to believe in it so that it can take the two of them and have control over them and have dominion right. over them and place them within a loop. Because the yep. thing is that all of these other people cannot physically cross the barriers that have been placed around them. If they try to, I think they just 
end up back at like the other side, kind of like an old school video game, like Pac-Man or something like that. Right. Yes. Um, and so, but Justin and Aaron are free to go wherever they want and they're not limited by these pods. And I think that we see certain instances that kind of suggest that ultimately this unseen power is really just trying to absorb the two of them into its thing so that it can have dominion over them. And what it's and and Hal actually tells them at one point or maybe it's no, it's not Hal, it's somebody else, but it's somebody who's warning them and basically says, "Look, as long as you don't succumb to the whims and the actions of this higher power, you're not going to become trapped by it. In order to become trapped by it, you have to believe in it and you have to have been affected by it, right? And once again, I think that this is a metaphor for religion because religion only holds power and dominion over people when they believe it. Like, absolutely 100%, all of this is predicated upon belief and faith. Otherwise, it would be an objective source of truth, and we wouldn't have a million distinctly different religions. And right. so, and that's why I think, and I think that, you know, whoever sets up these psychologies in the first place, they understand that. And so that's why, like, the very first commandment, I believe, if I have it correctly, is like, worship no other god than me. Right. And 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 even look at like the 12 steps uh, in terms of like a AA program, like the first is like you have to admit you have a problem. Right. Because the thing about all of these different modalities of thought and belief structures and philosophies is that in order to teach you, quote unquote, its lessons, you have to buy into this. Right. Right. It's like, look, I can I can teach you all of these things, but if you don't buy in in the first place, it's a waste of all our time. Right. Because, again, a lot of this is is faith based. A lot of this is I'm not going to have tangible evidence for you. Right. You kind of just have to believe. So I think that that aspect of this film where it's like you're not affected by this higher power that's that we know as an audience is there we see many examples this thing does legitimately exist in this universe and yet it has no power over justin and aaron because they refuse to accept it and they refuse to believe it exists yeah no i i agree wholeheartedly um and then you also see again uh Certain of these pods are bigger and smaller. Certain of these people are in more treacherous situations. Um, yeah, I think that uh, it absolutely starts to alter reality and, and all yeah. of that. Um, and the beings are said to exist as colors that are outside of our spectrum so we can't see them. So... Apparently, this harkens back to the this thing is all kind of based on the H.P. Lovecraft short story, yeah. Color Out of Space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it also has kind of an Annihilation vibe to it. It also totally has a very Donnie shimmer. Darko vibe to it. Uh, this had a lot yeah. of Donnie Darko things going on with the time loops and the wormholes. And, you know, kind of like you could take this on like if my parents watch this movie, they would watch it on the surface and be like, oh, that was a cool sci fi film. You know, I'm glad those kids made it out. Uh, but then you and I would watch this and dissect the fuck out of it and tie it back to religion and its constructs and, and, you know, restraints over humanity and blah, blah, blah. So you can kind of take this movie however you want. Um, and, uh, yeah. And and then also family and, and how the family brother dynamic can rope you into certain things as well that you might not believe yourself, but are equally as dangerous when you're trying to pull people out of a certain overwhelming situation in a cult or religion or, 
you know, people that have drank the Kool-Aid a little or whatnot. So, uh, yeah, it's um, I definitely see all those. It's also kind of a metaphor for this, uh, you know, for this podcast a little bit. We got season one out. I thought I was out. I had a nice long break. Uh, Jason's like, I think I want to go back to the podcast. I'm like, dude, we don't need to go back there. And then you <laughs> me back in and you bring me back to the podcast and it's nice here. And now I'm caught in this fucking time loop where I'm watching movies <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, one thing I think that was cool that I, I think that we see the sort of, again, the higher power as antagonist, he actually does, it rather, does kind of make one last grasp, I think, or a series of last grasps trying to bring them in, and that's by setting up these projectors and Polaroids for them, right? I think that's why we see that really kick in at the end. So, like, we've got the shot where Aaron looks up into the sky, and then a Polaroid almost immediately drops back down, and it's, you know, him looking up into the sky right then and there, basically them saying, like, listen, motherfucker, we're right here. And then as... Justin and Aaron are walking around later. They, they when they meet up after being separated for a minute, uh, they the, right there is a projector, right? And the projector is uh, an like old a real projector reel. showing, yeah, like a real to reel of that of that moment just mere seconds ago, right? Obviously, again, sort of saying like this is this is nothing that could exist if we weren't here. But the two of them just kind of take it in stride and they end up walking away. And then there's a really effective, really cool shot where you see that projector get literally like smacked away. Like you hear it like get knocked off into just like this giant chasm of empty space. Right. And I well, think and that every time the, the projector show like it, it re- kept resetting. So we see a scene like a five second scene of the projector showing them experience experiencing the blank projector screen. Then on the next time it's showing them watching themselves on the projector screen. Then they're watching the blank screen and then they're watching themselves. So it starts to like, like when, when you have two mirrors set up face to face, how it, yeah. you, you see infinite time, like within, I thought that was really neat as well. But I thought that this was also like the being trying to demonstrate like, Hey, look, I'm here. Like who else could be responsible for like, right. Taking this and showing it to you right here. And then they keep being like, eh, whatever. And walking away. So like, I think that, that moment is literally the being getting pissed off and like, yes. you know, if it had a hand or an arm, it would be swatting away the projector because it's like, God damn it. How are we going to get these two? Right. Right. Um, and I think that that's sort of where a lot of these efforts from the higher power come from. Now, at this point, we're pretty much at the end here, you know, because we've got uh, the three moons that have, have finally arrived and Aaron announces that he's staying Tim unlocks the shed. Again, the three moons are there. And Justin and Aaron actually walk into the shed, and what they find are a bunch of tapes and film canisters. And I believe the implication is it's basically showing that this has happened, like, time and time again over the years. I think it's recordings of this quote-unquote ascension. Is that how you interpreted it, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, as you've mentioned uh, time and again throughout the podcast app, it's like... That's how this greater power of whatever, you know, time and space has chosen to communicate also with our uh, victim or its victims uh, to lure them in, uh, whether it be the cassette at the very beginning um, or the the reel to reel or the Polaroids that they found in the woods throughout the film. Um, And this is a vast collection of said communications and documentations of these things. Now. As we've seen, um, the video cassette in the very beginning, nobody knew about that. He was able to approach that woman and ask her, yeah, you sent us that tape. She's like, no, I didn't. So a lot of these things are happening 
in the in the time loop. So to certain people, they have not happened yet or they've already they don't remember it because it's been rebooted. So yeah. it's either a documentation or it's from the past of some kind, but caught through the time loop. And so, again, kind of Donnie Darko vibes there where you could kind of get a little mind fucked on trying to unravel that knot. But. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I thought the uh, cool. so my take on that and the initial tape, because, yeah, there's that moment later where he's like, oh, well, you guys send that tape. And she's like, no, we didn't. And he's like, well, yeah, no, blah, 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 because I didn't order it, blah, blah, blah. I think that was probably the higher powers attempt to lure them. I think the higher power right. probably sent that. Yeah, and it was bait to, like, get them back. Um, so but then. So let's just go ahead and wrap up sort of what happens here real quick. I will say this is actually where all of my problems stem from uh, is the third act of the film. I thought that uh, the third act was probably by far the weakest of it. Um, it was the also same imaginative. And I agree. Just kind of a little for a movie that did a really good job of being unique and defying tropes and conventions. Like, I think it was just like, it really leaned into him for the third act to its detriment, not enough to kill the film or anything, but just enough no, to be like, ah, no. that's kind of disappointing, you know? Um, but I, I wasn't disappointed. I do. I will say it's the weakest of the three, but uh, I wouldn't say I was yeah. disappointed. Um, they had to pay it off. They have built up so much shit. Uh, I, I think I would have been equally disappointed if they just like left it super, well, super I, ambiguous. I, I think, I think, they see that's actually my problem. I don't. I would have liked to see a little bit more closure. And and as anybody who listens to this okay. knows, like I actually really dig these sort of open ended and ambiguous endings. But so let's just go into this real quick. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So, go ahead. So so narratively speaking, they come in, they watch the videos. You know, in essence, we see that like this ascension thing isn't really anything more than what's been going on the other time, which is it's just a time loop. You know, and at first, Aaron is particularly disappointed because. They're all when the three moons arrive signaling the ascension, they're all standing in a circle outside of like a pit. And then, you know, the rope drops in the middle of them, that shot that we see in the trailer. And then they're all gone. Right. Uh, But we do see sort of blood, blood on the ground and streaks and whatnot. And Aaron assumes that they've ascended and, you know, he and his brother Justin have didn't get to go with them. So he's disappointed to a degree. And then. All of a sudden, the entity itself is represented in this sort of like black tornado cloud sort of thing. Now, Ryan, I don't know how fair this is to this film or not. Uh, both of us, you know, are, are gamers in terms of playing video games, but, you know, we play different ones. Have you ever played a game called Life is Strange or heard of it? No. no it's sort of like a it. sort of like an episodic story based game, uh, a little bit like the um uh, oh, I forget the company that did them, but they did the sort of like choose your own adventure style games with like Game of Thrones okay. and Batman, the Telltale games. It's very much like a Telltale game. Got and it. so um, and yeah, so I, I, I'm not kidding you when I tell you that the end of the sixth and last episode of Life is Strange is the exact same ending as The Endless. And oh, I believe shit. it came before. I don't know if it's just a coincidence, but like the with the black storm and even like the shots that they use and everything. And like it's about these like these two girls who love each other and ultimately have to like, you know, uh, it's love that sort of saves the day and the bond and the relationship. And there was just so many shades of that game in this third act that I really could <laughs> not get around it. I was like I, to the point that I knew exactly what was going to happen. Like like I. It's so weird. Like, I can see the shots in the final sequence, like, in digital form from that game. It's so crazy. So, like, that was something that very much took me out of the film. I don't know how much of that is to blame on them or not. I 
no idea if they did that knowingly or not or subconsciously or if it's complete coincidence. But it was so, so similar that it took me out a little bit. Um, so I will say that. And then, yeah, it was just a little, you know, so like, okay, so for example, one thing like. So Aaron, the younger brother, basically says, I'm going to stay here. And Justin's like, no, you're not. And he's like, yes, I am. And then he's like, fine. And then Aaron's like, what did you say? And he's like, fine, you can go and stay here. And he's like, you're respecting a decision. First of all, the dialogue was really stilted because he literally says something like, you're yes. respecting a decision of mine or something like that. Right. Like, yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, that was a little little hammy there. Um, and then he says, and then Justin's like, yeah. And then he says, okay, let's go ahead and go. And he's like, what? And he's like, all I wanted, all I ever wanted from you was to just say yes to something. And then I was like, immediately like, didn't he say yes to getting you there in the first place? Like, is right. this exactly what, like, you, like, you, he said yes to that. He said yes to letting you stay extra. And, you know, I could see maybe if it was more like it came from him, maybe that would put a different shade on him. But it's like, well, again, you just, you put your foot down and then he relented. And then, you know, you're like, oh, finally. And it's like, well, no, but he's done that several times to this point. Like, begrudgingly, sure, chased. but... You're being chased by an ultimate evil vacuum monster that is going <laughs> to suck you into a portal of time and not let you out. Fucking, how are these two chodes not in a better, bigger hurry throughout the third act? That's what bothered me. They're just plodding along like a bunch of sniveling ninnies. Fucking, uh, like, uh, just, oh, you never took me serious, girl. I'm like, you're fucking, what, 35? Come on, get your <laughs> yeah. shit together. Time to get the fuck out of Dodge, and you could sort your shit out in therapy later. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I don't understand, like, why this is a, a thing or why the... And then the younger brother's like, the older brother's like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Uh, by the way, there's a lot of weird shit going on. And the younger brother's like, yeah, but it's better than before when we had to eat ramen. And it's like, oh my good Lord. <laughs> Fucking You're just about to him. be consumed by some like eldritch god entity <laughs> that's going to give He's you a thousand years weight, of man. darkness. And you're like, man, yeah. ramen. Oh, dude, <laughs> it is time to hit that man in the fucking face and knock some sense into him. Like... The time for being kind to your younger brother is over. And, uh, <laughs> and then also, side note, um, why is everyone in the camp? I don't understand why everyone in the camp uh, leading up to this cataclysmic uh, deal is so cryptic. Like, why don't they? Because they seem to really, by the end, have the brother's best interest in mind to an extent. Um, like, they're like, look, we're all in on this. We've already uh, you know, signed up and we can't get out. Um, yeah. And they've said over, uh, like Tim has said this, like, basically, you don't have to do this. Um, only do it if you want to. But they never say what it is. They should just like, and they get the homeboy's got like a full mathematics, like goodwill hunting uh, chalkboard going on in his fucking cabin. Hal, the uh, the leader. And he, and, the, and at one point, the older brother's like, what? What's that about? And he's like, oh, you wouldn't even believe me if I told you. How about fucking try me? How about fucking yeah, right. test me out? Tell me that there's a fucking crazy Cthulhu monster that I can't see that's going to suck me up into the bowels of hell and let me fucking repeat time itself like a shitty Groundhog Day out in Camp Bumfuck. Uh, before you, uh, you know, we go through this rigmarole, stop being so cryptic and then yeah. hurry the 
fuck up. Those are my only two complaints about the third act. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny? Even just saying it out loud, it does kind of feel like yet another metaphor for religion, wherein it's sure. like fair because the whole thing because the whole thing that you're talking about is that basically there are people that know about this time loop thing and they have made the decision to stay there and to it and to basically accept knowledge of the supreme being so that they can live forever and that's kind right. of again one of the things that when we hear the language of religion it's all about you know eternal life eternal through life. god and through religion yeah. and heaven and all of these things and so it's I think that it's basically the thing is like, oh, we were all allured by this idea of eternal life. And we see this in, you know, any movie that uh, talks about immortality or any story that delves into immortality where it sounds like a great idea at first. And then once you're in it, you're like, fuck me. This sucks. All I want to do is die. Right. Whether you're Nosferatu, whether you're these guys. And so once again, I think that it's. You know, you were you were lured in by the promise of this thing called religion that said it would give you eternal life and it sounded great. But now that you're in the middle of it, it's like, holy fuck, this sucks. I just want to bail. Right. You know, but they're not going to be the one to tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) And perhaps the cryptic language is maybe just sort of like analogous to a lot of that language that they use within religion. Right. Where it's it's old language. It's it's very metaphorical. You know, it's stuff that we don't really have words for anymore or it meant something back in the day because we're talking Shakespeare and before where, you know, this didn't mean this, this meant that and vice well, and versa. The, yeah, so. and the, the things that they just buy is God's plan more or less uh, on faith that it's for the greater good. Um, you know, that's when you're on the inside looking out makes total sense to you. Uh, but then when you're on the outside looking in, it's like, whoa, and there's a burning bush and Abraham had to kill Isaac, his only son, after he waited years to have a son to carry on his lineage, which was really a big deal back then. Uh, and then he takes him up on the mountaintop because God told him to plunge a stake through his heart. Like fucking weird ass shit. And <laughs> yeah. dude, when you're going to like, I remember like, uh, so I grew up in church. I don't know if you did, okay. but I have a very no. religious background and I could speak on the fact that these were Bible lessons given to us at a very young age, like alarmingly young, like five, six, seven, like singing songs. You know, uh, hey, and and about God's punishment and God's wrath, <laughs> destroying yeah. the world with floods and all of this and the drowning of humankind. Um, yeah, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and all these things. I was like, hey, kids, let's sing a song. I'm salty. The praise book. Jesus Christ. Looking back <laughs> on that, it's terrifying. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, all that kind of does harken way, way back to a metaphor to religion. You're absolutely right. Uh, yeah. But in the context of a film, uh, cinematically speaking, I would have liked to have seen a little more urgency from these two guys uh, and a little <laughs> more maturity as well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, the, the the younger brother demands basically to drive and, you know, Justin goes back and forth for a little bit, but ultimately relents. And then, you know, that's sort of keeping up with this theme of wrapping up. We're like, okay, you know, Justin's showing Aaron some respect, letting him make the decisions. You know, they drive away while they're being chased. They're about to get to the edge where, you know, the edge of the the dome, so to speak, this shimmery dome. It's closing in on them, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, they're bracing themselves because they don't know if they've really been sucked in and they're just going to hit it. They actually do a nice job of showing some birds run into that fake wall so that we remember. Love it. Uh, But, you know, they end up, Crashing right through it, no problem. Showing up back in the real world on the other side. And then, of course, we get the similar theme of closure where they're low on gas and Aaron's driving and Justin's like, oh, you're low on gas. Uh, 
uh, you know what, actually, you got this, bro. And then he yeah. like, goes to sleep, right? And so, Ham again, like, yeah, so it's a little hammy hammy, but, uh, you know, uh, it's fine. So that's that's a wrap up of our film, The Endless. And the Endless. <laughs> as so we I, do, I, I would have liked to have seen it end right there with the crashing into the wall and just cut to black, roll credits. Did they make it? Did they not? Yeah. Well, and so, and so I guess, yeah. And so, I mean, they had to wrap it up just in terms of, you know, getting us through that third act. So it makes sense that they do it, but it's still the, see, here's the thing, Ryan is I I like the fact that we're left to consider about these sort of, you know, gods and, you know, the whole nature of what these higher power supreme beings are. But like, I, I, I've, I've considered it for a little bit and, you know, I don't really like to look up like other people's theories and stuff, like try to come up with my own first, but like, I can't really come up with any good reason that the higher power would do this. Like, I, I don't understand what this higher power gains from putting these people in these loops. Like they talk about how they don't know either. And it's ultimately for this thing's enjoyment, but in terms of unless it's just supposed to be a manipulative God. And that's the thing. Like maybe the point is like, yeah, God, if God isn't evil, he's at least a jerk and an asshole who just (laughs) fucks with people for no reason as evidenced by putting them in this loop here that, you know, for for, for nothing other than his own enjoyment and nobody gets anything from it. I don't know if that's the point or not. I was just saying, as I thought about it, I couldn't come up with a good reason for why they would do that other than that. And then considered that maybe, that was the filmmaker's intent. I, I I can't speak to that or not, but that's what I came away with. Yeah, uh, I don't think it has a rational solution. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's it leans way more on the metaphor than it does the logical. So why would God or or some uh, you know all powerful being put these humans in this thing? Um, it, it's more about the the trap or the ensnarement and how we give ourselves up to it and let it take control over us uh, in various ways. Uh, some more strong or powerful than others. So, you know, why why does God take uh, or why does religion take uh, control over us, you know, to do anything? And, and why, what gain is there to control people uh, to keep their thumb on them in, in that way? Why do you not just let people be free and live their lives and die? Um, is it ego? Is, is it, uh, you know, the, the church, um, you know— uh, hating, uh, you know, being homophobic, for example, or, mm-hmm. you know, putting its thumb on certain groups of people throughout history. Mm-hmm. Um, pick one. I don't care which one it is. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, plenty to choose so, from. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, which, yeah. So what's the purpose of that? Like, what's the gain other than to feed the ego or to keep control or to uh, control people through fear? Uh, who fucking knows, dude? Um, yeah. But, but the fact is that it happens and they do it. And uh, and it keeps repeating itself, whether it's the the Crusades or uh, the Spanish Inquisition. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition, um, you know, <laughs> or right down to today's televangelists and, and, and politicians and so forth. Uh, you know, there's always that one group of people that has to feel somehow superior to another and keep their thumb on them to control them. And uh, yeah, now that's what I thought was the. That's what I thought the size of the pods was ultimately a metaphor for. I don't think, again, okay. it really 
does anything to explain what I was just mentioning. And, and again, that might be the point, but I think the, the fact that some of the par- pods are super large and go on for years and decades. And, you know, even down to like that little tent with its three second loop is basically reflective of the different denominations of religions and how a religion okay. can be ginormous, like Catholicism or Judaism or anything like that. Or you can have some small, tiny little, you know, offshoot of Christianity or, you know, some sort of, uh, native religion, you know, somewhere, um, but that they ultimately, regardless of the size, they all have the same sort of damaging effect. That that was one thing that I had maybe considered. Again, sure, don't know if that's on point or not. Just something I had considered. So, all right, Ryan. So we are gonna go ahead and wrap up as we do with our three adjectives. Hit me up with them, buddy. What you got? Uh, I got promising um, because these. Guys' careers are on the uptick, and I'm really excited to see more from them. Um, you know, you go into an indie film like this, and you never know. It's a mixed, gra- a mixed bag, right? Like, it could go really go either way with these micro-budget deals. Uh, you could This could have very easily been a Sci-Fi Channel original or, or something, like, super cheesy like that totally. where the acting's off. Dude, this fucking movie gelled, and uh, and I really loved it. I'll also say it was ambitious uh, for 50000 bucks or whatever it was, seventy grand, anything under a hundred. Let's call it, um, you know, the fact that you're going to uh, get all these actors out at this youth camp, uh, you know, these guys, they said that they were taking meetings after their previous couple outings. You know, they've made a couple films and they were starting to get some studio attention. Um, and then they just said, fuck it. It's been too long. We're spending our whole careers taking meetings and all this stuff never transpires. Let's just go make something. And I respect the fuck out of that. And uh, they got whatever money they could. They asked for favors, begged, stole, or borrowed. And they came out of it with this, which I really enjoyed. And so, uh, and now they're doing, like I said, bigger projects, uh, working on uh, Marvel series of of all things. And they've made other movies since then. So uh, I'm curious to see some of their uh, endeavors they've done since leading up to Moon Knight, but uh, definitely looking forward to Moon Knight as a Marvel guy. I know you're not, but I am. Uh, And then also chemistry. Uh, You could really tell that these dudes were friends prior to. And uh, I'm going to talk about this for a brief second. Uh, One thing I gathered from all their interviews is that they made this entire film in their apartment uh, before they went out to shoot it. The, uh, The one thing they've stressed more the, more than any other ingredient in their uh, toolbox uh, to, to lead up to their successes is rehearsals. They said that they wrote this script and they would sit down and they would set the camera up and plot the camera within the context of their living room um, and act all these scenes out and then change the camera angle and then get everything. And they would watch their performances and rehearse the fuck out of it uh, and get their chemistry just right. And so... Um, going and then even with the other actors and stuff rehearsals were so much of a part of it but i just felt like that because of they would rehearse the shit out of it and they made this movie before making this movie i thought that was such a payoff uh in in the fact that you know the chemistry really shined through i didn't believe uh that the the brother dynamic was a little too immature i think for their age set but also i think that might have been some arrested development shit going on from being in the cult you see that sometimes with people so uh yeah, yeah i thought promising uh, about their career ambitious about this project in general and chemistry about these two dudes and their acting performance and everything that went on between them how about you bud 
Nice, dude. Yeah. So the first thing that came to my mind is it was just an imaginative film, you know, and I think that this is something that when you get a good indie film, that's what you get, you know, because you can't just rely on throwing money at stuff to make it work, you know, and you you sure. have to be really smart about, OK, how can we create mood? How can we create tone? And, you know, so much. I mean, here's the thing, man, is it's like. You can spend all this money coming up with the coolest CGI zombie for your fucking movie, and it's going to look great for two, three, maybe five years, right? Um, And, you know, then when people go back to it ten years later, it's going to look like crap. Like, I loved I Am Legend when it came out, or even I, Robot. But now you go back and it's like, yeah, it's a little hard to... This is taking me out of the film with this, you know, what's now shoddy production values. Uh, T2, by the way, uh, bucks that trend. T2 still holds up despite dude, being 25 yeah, that years. That movie slaps. Whatever, I fucking dude. love that movie. Blue <laughs> yeah. gels and everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, but... When you're able to get imaginative on an indie level, it's like, look, man, you know, things going bump in the dark will always be scary. You know, uh, uh, just having, you know, getting your biggest crew member and throwing them behind a trailer and, you know, blocking your shots such that, you know, you just get him to ram up against it. And, you know, we see this thing moving in the dark by unseen forces. That's always going to work. And so I think that they did a really good job of just, again, being imaginative with the shots and the moments and even just the rope extending into the sky, I thought was a great visual and yeah, that costs nothing. You know what I mean? So super cool. It's a focused film as well. You know, it didn't really, it wasn't one of those films. Look, whether you liked it or not, or whether you liked the directions it went in, like it, it knew what it wanted to be. It knew the story it was telling. Like I said, I kind of wish it might have would have ended up in a little bit different space, but you could tell they they started exactly where they wanted to start and they finished exactly where they wanted to finish, and that's you know impressive as well. In terms, I think of that goes back to the rehearsals thing I was talking about too. You know, just that that all comes out of that doesn't just come out of you. You know, as a filmmaker yourself, I'm sure you know, like you got to workshop that shit and, uh, and yeah, those definitely. things out, which they did to their testament <laughs> or to, to their credit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, when you're when when you're paying for actors and all of a sudden they show up and you don't have them blocked out and then you spend half your day on blocking, you're like, I'm an idiot. Right. <laughs> right. This was not an effective way to do this. Well, so, and that's uh, why they said that it was so important also to have specific roles within the uh, credit list because someone has to be a director. Like as much as they're both co-directing, when an yeah. actor is l- looking for direction, they're looking to a singular voice. And if you start having mayhem where everyone's shouting directions and oh do this or try that, then it becomes chaos. And your actors, uh, they they said that your actors quickly lose faith in your vision, which is exactly yeah. what you're you're saying. So uh, you totally. know that you have to have that that singular voice. And and so uh, the fact that you know that they're picking up on these things. Um, with that, these guys didn't go to film school, by the way, they're just learning and doing nice. it. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's the best way to do it, man. Just do it. Just uh, do and it. then the third adjective is efficient. And, you know, I've kind of mentioned that over the course of this film, but just the effects, not the special effects, by the way, there was that one, <laughs> that one special effect, uh, where the, the house caught on fire. I think that was really yeah. the only time <laughs> where it was really obvious. Like, yeah, eh, maybe just, you know, maybe just go in a different direction. Like. I don't know. I I would almost think just, you know, doing a close up of some flames and letting that be a metaphor or something would work better than 
you know, trying right. to make Guy flicks some... a cigarette or something, you know, and we follow yeah. the cigarette out. Little fire starts. We get the idea. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you just do a, a shot of, you know, him with the, you know, the lights flaming up against him as he sort of looks yep. on. And, you know, that yeah. might have been a better way to do it than just trying to go full on VFX without having the right resources. Um, but outside of that, again, a very, a very efficient film, you know, able to get some some good scares and some good tension building and some good atmosphere uh, just from, you know, sound effects, like you said, you know, largely just relying on the sound, which not enough films do. So, right. but yeah, man, uh, ima- imaginative, focused, and efficient are my three adjectives. By the way, real quick, guys, do want to mention before we formalize this, uh, if this is, if you're new to Esoterica Cinema, if you did, weren't around with us for the first season, uh, you may ask yourself what the hell is going on with me giving star ratings and Ryan giving grade ratings. Uh, and that just goes back to a joke where at the very start of season one, uh, we couldn't really agree on, on, on which one to do, right? Like I would put out stars and then he'd put out grade ratings and then I'd ask him for a grade rate or a star and he'd give me a grade and vice versa. And so at a certain point we were just like, fuck it. You know what? From now on, Jason does star ratings. Ryan does grade ratings. So again, if you're new to the show and you've been wondering what the hell that's about, that's what that's about. Ryan, what is your grade rating for the endless Dude, I was on the cusp on this one, but I'm giving this a solid B plus. Uh, okay. Only because I've set the standard for what A movies are. I really hold myself to my own grade spectrum, if you will, of, of other, based on other ratings I've given. So now I've we're, we've come so far where it's like, well, is it as good as this or is it worse than that? I'm starting to second guess my shit. This was an enjoyable film. I loved it. I had a great time. I would recommend this to most people. Uh, it's a fun romp. Um, you know, and you, you do have to give it a little push, I think over the B hump, uh, into a B plus just because of what they did and, and how effective it was, uh, for the budget. Uh, I'm giving them a little bit of a mulligan on some of the things that, uh, you know, they, they tried and, and, uh, a lot more things worked than didn't. And it was a fun romp and I thought it was good. So yeah, B plus. How about you, bud? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm giving this a solid four out of five stars, which I think puts us pretty close there. Um, and yeah, you know, just because again, I, I did have some problems with the third act there. Uh, there were a couple pieces along the way that we didn't really mention that I kind of felt a little superfluous or wasn't a hundred percent sure. Like the whole thing with like the, the, like the crying blonde chick who was smoking a cigarette and that whole scene, that was kind of weird. Didn't really understand, but just again, really a lot of ingenuity on display, especially factoring in, you know, the lack of budget, really solid performances across the board. And look, especially for writer-directors, right? Normally a writer-director, you get a Shyamalan or a Tarantino, and nobody wants to watch them act for a couple hours. But yeah, these two cats (laughs) did like a totally solid job and, you know, did very, again, yeah, just totally solid jobs. You know, not going to win any awards for best actors, but I will tell you this, every single person in this film was better than any of the kids from Willy's Wonderland, right? Sure. And Willy's oh, Wonderland a had a five and a half million dollar budget. So that tells you something. Yep. All right. So that is our discussion of the endless. Now, Ryan, before we get into pulling the old uh, film for next week here, do just want to take a minute to plug the socials. As most of the people should know by now, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Esoterica Cinema. You can also find Ryan at the Ryan Siebold and myself at Jason Aberrant on those different platforms. 
And as usual, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know what you thought about this or any of the other films that we've watched. We'd also love to hear some feedback about what you think should be going on our master list. We're going to get to that in just a second. And, you know, if you're the type of person where maybe you're at a diner and you're enjoying a really nice pancake, maybe it's a blueberry pancake, maybe it's a chocolate chip pancake, and, you know, you're looking around and you just don't feel like you have anyone to share that with, you can always hit us up uh, on email. So we are esotericacinema at gmail.com, and you can feel free to tell us about pancakes, muffins, sandwiches, or movies. Ideally, you'll talk to us about movies, but the point is you can hit us up for any reason you want. Now, if you've listened to the show before, you know that at the end of the episode, we pull a new film that we're going to look at for the following episode. Now, you've probably heard us talk about this master list, right? It's 200 films that we use as our master pull list, right? So everything that we pull at the end of the episode comes from this list. We have put a bunch of different films from genre films to classic films, silent films, modern films, right? We just kind of want to like encapsulate the entire sort of microcosm slash ecosystem of cinema as a whole. So that's why we'll do, you know, Italian giallo films. And then we'll also look at, you know, like American animated comedies, right? Everything in between. So, We realized that it might be fun for you guys to play along at home in terms of seeing the master list, knowing the films that are on there and being able to hopefully get excited because, you know, me and Ryan always look forward to seeing what film we're going to pull next. So once again, we have a website. We didn't have a website for season one, but season two going strong with that website. As you can imagine, it is called EsotericaCinema.com. And in addition to a bunch of links to different things, we have a link to that master list. You can download it. Don't worry. There's no viruses or anything. It's like for my personal Dropbox. It's just a link only. And if, you know, you don't feel comfortable downloading it, you can always just use the print functionality from there without having to download it. So, like, there's nothing preventing you from getting this list in your hands if you want. So, once again, just want you to know that if you want to follow along and see all the different movies that are on this list that we're pulling from, that's available for you right now at esotericacinema.com. And for what it's worth, I think the website the website came out pretty nice, Ryan. Yeah, dude, no, it's absolutely brilliant. And uh, there's a lot there to, to and we're going to be adding more to it uh, as we go along and uh, hopefully with some video content uh, links up for you soon and, and some fun stuff. So just want to also add, uh, you know, thanks to all, everyone for, for sticking around into season two now that we're getting into it. Uh, we have a lot of fun making this. Uh, you know, you start these things and you never know how it's going to be received or, or how it's going to take off. And uh, uh, I don't know if you've mentioned this at any point, Jason, but we've literally made it to every continent in the globe except for Antarctica. <laughs> so uh, Antarctica, yeah. step your shit up, son. We need to get yeah. out there. Uh, find if any of you know anyone... Yeah, right. Uh, I don't know who all these uh, who all these penguins are listening to out there, but uh, when we get to them, we're gonna get them. We're gonna win them over. Going worldwide, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, thank you everybody for for listening and putting up with our nonsense. Uh, with yeah. that said, uh, are we uh, picking a movie, Jason? Oh yeah, we we are picking a movie here. So once again, uh, just to bring people up to speed, uh, we are on our third episode, which means we are going to be selecting our fourth film. So. Uh, Again, for those playing at home, if you have that list, you want to make sure that by now you have numbers 32, 
144, and 188 crossed off your list, leaving 197 films that this next one's going to pull from. And those films are, of course, Dead Alive, Under the Skin, and The Endless. So, Ryan, going to come over here to our random number generator. Going to put in 1 through 200. Going to generate ourselves a little number. Oh, wow, this is, a, this is pretty close to the other one, so I think it's going to be in the Zuz. We've got 176. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, 176. So when we come over to our list and we look down at 176. <laughs> wow. So I guess this is kind of something of a theme right now, Ryan, for us. Uh, yeah. It's really funny. I was actually telling Ryan uh, recently how it's really funny how the start of season two has been heavy on genre films, specifically in sci-fi and horror. And we have got another one, sir. Uh, we are Jeez. looking at 2017's The Void, which is actually a, a, a micro-budget indie cosmic horror film. <laughs> I'm actually familiar with this one. I've heard of it. I have not seen it. Uh, it's been on my list of things to see. I've heard decent things about it. Uh, I don't remember if this was your ad or mine for the listeners. Jason has picked half of these movies, and I've picked the other half. Um, so occasionally uh, you'll get some tension between us where it's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> what are you going to put me through this week? So, uh, yeah. Yeah, because uh, Ryan avoid. and I have a lot of crossover, but there's also some things that we kind of. Yeah, there's a know, Venn diagram going there's on. There's absolutely here. a uh, Venn diagram. But you know what? Yeah. Usually when we pull each other over into the other circle, we're kind of happy to be there. Like, I'm not, you know, historically a fan of, or as big a fan of like animation, and he's not historically as big a fan of like. Uh, you know, foreign dramas and stuff. And we kind of pull each other over and it's like, dude, there's a lot of cool shit over here. Thanks for bringing me over. <laughs> but it's just funny because I mean, we literally just looked at like indie cosmic horror from, tw I think, I think the endless was even from 2017. Wasn't it? It was, <laughs> it was a definite theme. So, and then this is actually going to be the start of our second month. Cause next, ne next episode is going to be that cop, that, that comedy centered bonus episode that, that we're focusing on here. So, uh, but Ryan, do you have a, do you have any sort of description for us on the void? I absolutely do. Jason, uh, looks like this is uh 2016, 2017, you know, you get these micro budget films and, um, uh, you'll start to see the years vary because sometimes they'll post when it hit festivals and other times it'll post when it hit theaters. If it got a theatrical release. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did find out from the endless is that, uh, these guys said that they've just milked the fuck. Uh, one of their secrets says they milked the fuck out of the festival circuit, uh, because it's all free publicity and free press. And yeah. when you have a micro budget film, you don't, ha you don't have any budget for that. So, um, this says 2016 on IMDb. Just want to put that out there so that if you see that, um, on uh, wherever you screen this, don't think it's the wrong film. Uh, when Sheriff Deputy Carter discovers a blood-soaked man limping down a deserted road, he rushes him to a local hospital with a bare-bones night shift staff. As cloaked cult-like figures surround the building, the patients and staff inside start to turn ravenously insane. Trying to protect the survivors, Carter leads them into the depths of the hospital where they discover a gateway to immense evil. Da -da -da. Uh, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm in too. Like I said, uh, you know, if you're looking at that list, you can take it from us. Like there's, I feel like all the sci-fi and horror on the list is getting pulled out here to where there's like only even a couple left. So uh, I feel like yep. we're going to take a, I feel like, you know, the, the coming episodes are probably going to take a hard ride into some, 
a little more, you know, prestige cinema or classic cinema sort of range. Subtitle um, City, baby. It's going to be <laughs> Subtitle City. <laughs> hey, dude, I'm still convinced this is how we're hitting up all those uh, different continents, right? You know what I mean? Like, you That's know, Dagon, Dagon's shot in South America. You get a couple South America listens, you know, you do a... Uh, you, do, you know, you look at uh, Lives of Others, which you hated. You get a couple uh, German listeners. So, you know, we work the globe in terms of our, our film selections. And I think that helps us work the, gl- the globe in terms of potential audience members. Yeah. I mean, the, just the fact that uh, this guy gets to go to a hospital immediately takes us to the EU where uh, they have health care. So, um... <laughs> Awesome, dude. So, yeah, so that is this week's episode of Esoterica Cinema. Hopefully you enjoyed our discussion of The Endless. We will be back next episode with our bonus episode. That's going to be our first of the season. We're not really going to spoil anything for you on that. Just trust us when we say we're going to have a lot of fun. We're really going to try to lean in on some uh, some comedy as well as some deep dive info. It'll be a shorter one. You know, hopefully it's about a half an hour. We'll see exactly what length we get there. And then the week after that... We'll be looking at The Void, which also means that you get an extra week to watch those movies, guys. So, uh, you know, if you procrastinate, make sure that you account for that and don't uh, right. don't end up watching Enjoy it. Enjoy The Void in right the schedule. Hey, <laughs> but again, thanks for listening, everyone. We had a great time talking with you this week. We will see you next time on Esoterica Cinema. So what are you going to do this summer? I don't know. Not much, I guess. Probably just watch The Price is Right and throw some cheese slices against the wall. I miss Bob Barker. Why? What are you going to do? I'm going to have the most fun ever at Camp Arcadia. Kids love Camp Arcadia. And why shouldn't they? With over two significant rides and attractions... Committing your child's soul to the horrors that exist beyond the edges of the cosmos has never been so much fun. Awesome! Awesome! Watch lovingly as your son or daughter stands waving at the camp's entrance with a creepy-ass smile etched across their face. (laughs) It'll certainly haunt your dreams. Hello, and welcome to The Resting Place of Your Soul Eternal. Camp Arcadia also offers robust opportunities for your child to learn all about beer, both its creation and its consumption. Let's get them started early, right, Dads? Give me back that crayon. I drop better when I've had a few. And let's not forget our most popular attraction, individual death pods on an endless time loop. Dibs on exploding every five seconds. Every five seconds. Every five seconds. Lucky. Wow, Camp Arcadia sounds amazing. What do I have to do to sign up? It's easy. Just submit to the whims of a nefarious unseen horror for all of eternity while watching yourself be horrifically slaughtered at the rise of every third moon, and bam, you're in the club. I love the third moon. It makes the first moon look like such a basic bitch. I know, right? Like, S-A-D, first moon. So come on down to Camp Arcadia. And remember... La-dee-da, la-dee-da, kids love Camp Arcadia. From the imagination of acclaimed author Ashton McCauley comes the next great American anti-hero, Nick Ventner, in Whiteout. Nick is a bit of a lush, 
preferring whiskey to water and bar hopping to exercise. But when a mysterious benefactor hires Nick to find the lost gates of Shangri-La, Nick sobers up just enough to take on the case. Featuring non-stop action and a hilarious wit, Whiteout by Ashton McCauley is a laugh-a-minute thrill ride that will keep you turning the pages until the very end. Whiteout, available now in ebook, hardcover, and paperback versions, online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature.